Well, after a tumultuous couple of weeks in football with the rise of the ESL and the demise of the ESL, UEFA sneaking in a new Champions League format under the guise of fighting that, it, the explosivity in the footballing world at the moment has continued. As always, I'm Ross Evans with my co-host Dan Newton. Hello. And we're here to commentate on what's been going on. So, Dan, we kind of got to go straight into it with the Manchester United protests. Yeah, I think, you know, by far the biggest news of the weekend. Uh, biggest news for, I think, probably a very long time. Um, first time fans have been back in the ground for a while. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not under the circumstances uh, we'd want to see him in there. But no, obviously, no. the huge protests outside Old Tradford, which led to the calling off or postponement of the Manchester United-Liverpool derby. Um, yeah. You know, it was, it was crazy to see, really. It was very surreal scenes. I don't know if you saw many of the videos that came out from it. Yeah, it was, it looked, you know, it was fierce, wasn't it? There was a lot of flares. There was, you know, they broke into the stadium. There was some people, like, stealing the corner flags, appeared to be ripping up chairs and stuff like that. It looked, you know, it was vicious. Yeah, definitely. It was, you know, it was very full on, um, as I think a lot of protests end up getting, you know, things tend to escalate when uh, things don't go the right way. But um, I think we should say, I think the, the reasons for the protest were perfectly fine. You know, it, yeah. regardless of what people think of, you know, what actually happened at them, I think the reasoning is absolutely sound. Yeah, and, you know, as I say, in a statement issued by the Man Manchester United Supporters Trust, um, they said this was the culmination of 16 years of piss-poor ownership by the Glazer family, who were effectively running the club as a business just to make money. Um, even though they've driven the club into debt, they appear to have been pocketing quite a bit of cash off the United brand. Um, and yeah, as you say, it's you know it's more than fair, I think, for a fan base that feels neglected, neglected to see this club that they you know is a large part of their lives, you know, to protest and try and protect that. Yeah, definitely. And you know, we've seen a lot of stuff with the ESL uh, proposals that have really you know, livened up fans and started to see more protests like this. You know, we saw them outside the Chelsea ground um, in yeah. the aftermath of the ESL announcement. Um, but I think the Manchester United one, like you said, is one that's been kind of bobbling under the surface for several years now. Where I yeah. think the large proportion of Manchester United fans just aren't happy with the Glazers as their owners. You know, they want a big change for various reasons. This isn't just a protest against the ESL, it's a protest against their owners and I guess how ownership works in English football in general and the fact that they've been allowed to own Manchester United for so long, despite yeah. I think the majority of people not being happy with them. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as we know, we've seen in some of the um, EFL clubs as well, the English football system has a, you know, sort of, are they suitable to own a football club sort of test prior to taking over? And I'm not, entirely sure that this was in place when the Glazers did take over in, I believe, 2005. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, obviously this, it does look a bit like they have took over this club with the idea of just lining their own pockets with no interest in football or its fans. And for that to happen to one, if not the biggest club in England, historically is, and at the time they took it over, you know, it was the biggest team. Um, yeah. You know, we, people saying it's to do because they're just having a tough run of form and they're not winning trophies. If it's 16 years of culmination, that is even throughout the successful periods. There were still the uh, green and gold scarves being waved at Old Trafford in title winning seasons. So it's nothing to do with trophies. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I don't think this is really anything to do with how Manchester United are performing on the pitch. You know, I mean, second in the league, obviously behind a, a really good City side, but they're not yeah. doing terribly. Um, I think this is, you know, clearly a, an issue with the owners and things that are off the pitch. And um, I, you mentioned the uh, EFL. I think it's they're testing the owners to see if they're like appropriate to own a football club. Um, as someone who uh, supports an EFL team and is kind of familiar with a lot of other EFL fans, um, I think a lot of them aren't even happy with the tests that are in place for their clubs. So I think it's kind of an issue throughout um, the whole of English football that whoever the owners are, whatever the tests are, aren't working. You know, you look at a club like Barry, um, last year obviously went into liquidation, dropped out of the Football League despite being there for, you know, over 100 years. So clearly this is an issue of ownership throughout English football. And yeah. the tests that are in place don't work. I think we're getting to the point where we need some kind of maybe government intervention to change um, the legislation of how football club ownership works. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you said that, and it was very interesting to read that that's actually one of the points that the Manchester United Supporters Trust made in their um, letter. They have actually issued an ultimatum towards the Glazer family, I think in particular to Joel Glazer, um, and they, they said, you will reply by Friday or there will be more protests. And one of those which... Um, one of these demands was that the government review um, football to rebalance current ownership structures in order to, to favour supporters. And I think this is making reference to the 50 plus one rule in Germany, um, which I think would be potentially a really good thing for English football. Yeah, so the, I think the 50 plus one rule means that all clubs have to be majoritively owned by fans. Um, so it can't just be, you know, some businessman comes and takes complete ownership of a club. There has to be some kind of fan representation on the board, uh, I believe, uh, in, in like a majority voting kind of sense. And it's, it's, you know, it's the main reason why the German clubs weren't involved with the ESL. It's because their fans would have vetoed it overall. Yeah. Whereas we saw with the clubs that are just kind of owned by rich businessmen, they were pretty uh, keen to join because they want to make as much money as possible. So, yeah. um, I, I mean, personally, I think it is an interesting proposal. I think it probably is right for most clubs. Um, yeah. You know, I'm quite lucky that the club I support is pretty well run, it's fair to say. Um, and yeah. I'm, not, I'm not just saying that because I work for them. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, uh, no, it's, um, you know, in good hands, but not a lot of clubs are like that. And, mm. you know, a lot of clubs are just run really poorly um, throughout football. And it is usually a case of some rich guy comes and buys a club he has no kind of connection to just because he wants it as like a i guess like a little toy to play with for a while and then ends up trying to make money out of it usually failing and then kind of destroying the club that's how it's happened for yeah. a lot of different teams so i think you know even outside of the huge clubs like manchester united i think the the 50 plus one rule would be you know pretty welcome for most clubs yeah and you know i've mentioned that as well, this uh, supporters trust letter. I just for those who haven't um, read the letter or see or heard about it, I'll just go through it uh, now. The Manchester United supporters trust wrote to Joel Glazer saying, "The fans forum wrote to you and your senior management team on Friday. We don't know if you saw it, but after the events of yesterday, i.e., Sunday, we trust your attention is now fully focused on the question of what happens next at Manchester United." 
First things first, let's be very clear that no one wants what happened at Old Trafford yesterday to be a regular occurring event. We're football fans and we want to support our team. We don't want to spend our days off work protesting outside our football ground. What happened was the culmination of 16 years in which your family's ownership of the club has driven us into debt and decline and we have felt even more sidelined and ignored. After 16 years, not one member of the Glazer family has ever had so much as a conversation with us, the club supporters trust. Yesterday, that frustration reached boiling point. For the vast majority of the thousands of attendees at the protest, they made their voice heard peacefully and respectfully. We support the rights of fans to protest lawfully, and although we did not personally witness any such acts, of course we do not condone any acts of violence. None of us want this to continue. We ha all have better things to do. So we need to find a way forward, and at this point the four-point plan was suggested in which we will tackle the other three points, as well as, as, the, uh, as we've just gone with the fan support. But uh, on that note, with it does strike how sidelined ignore the fans feel and i think you know in times i would say about 50 plus one how it's a good thing you know well-run clubs have happier fan bases you know this is one of the key things for united at the moment and united supporters yeah definitely and i think you know just listening to that letter there they're being very reasonable about uh reasonable about it you know they're not going crazy you know not, they're not really being abusive they just kind of want to at least sit down and have a conversation with the glazers which, you know, we see a lot of clubs. We've seen at Arsenal recently as well, with Kroenke basically kind of flat out refusing to answer the questions the fans wanted. And I think, yeah. it's, you know, it's a clear issue uh, across many clubs now. But I think, you know, the Manchester United Supporters Trust, who, you know, I don't know what they're like as an organisation, but they seem to be going about it the right way. And you kind of yeah. hope that they will actually get a chance to sit down with the Glazers and just hash some of these issues out and hopefully come to a, a good conclusion. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Arsenal and Kroenke then. Um, do you think that maybe Manchester United fans protesting, do you think this might lead to protests for a club like Arsenal, who's then, you know, not particularly happy with the owners? You know, Liverpool fans are in a sense with John W. Henry at the moment. Do you think that we might see similar protests take place at other clubs, particularly the ones that were, you know, involved in the ESL? Um, do you think we'll see more? Or is it just a case of this is a bit bigger than the ESL and ESL just exacerbated an already ongoing issue. Yeah, I mean, I think the ES, uh, I think you're quite right in saying that the ESL did kind of just exacerbate it. You know, it, it brought all these issues to the forefront, if you like. Um, but I, th I think basically, depending on the outcome of uh, the protests at Manchester United and whether it actually works and they actually can make progress with their board, I think we'll see more protests if they do. Um, we might see them regardless of even if it doesn't work. You know, I think there's just that much unrest amongst certain fans that they will just go out and protest. But um, yeah. yeah, definitely, if if they actually get to sit down with the Glazers, then I fully expect other fan bases to follow them. Yeah, I mean, it's it is tough for football fans at the moment, and you know, particularly with the e fallout of the ESL, um, and particularly United, you know. After 16 years of their club effectively being run into the ground behind the scenes of some fantastic success in leagues, in the domestic cups in Europe, um, it, it's got to sting that knowing this was going on. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's very frustrating, I can imagine, because there's not really a lot they can do about it other than protest right now, which they are beginning to do. You know, I think they've kind of sat there in silence for long enough that they've yeah. decided that they've had enough and now they're going to take some kind of you know direct action like protesting 
Yeah, and you know that brings us on to the the four point plan that they've suggested. We've already um, mentioned about the government initiated fan led review of football, which we would assume leads to the fifty plus one. Um, they also suggest three other points, which one the first of which we'll look at is immediately appoint independent directors to the board whose sole purpose is to protect the interest of the club as a football club and not its shareholders. Again, that seems to be a positive move for the fans. Um, and just, you know, adding a layer of protection for the club and someone who can hopefully react in the best interest of the club and, like I say, not the shareholders and not their bank balances. Yeah, definitely. I think they want more football people involved at Manchester United. You know, they don't just want businessmen who, like you said, are kind of trying to develop their own bank balances. They want people who actually care about the football club and about running it as a football club rather than a, a business. Yeah, and it said about being ignored. Uh, point four was commit to full consultation with season ticket holders on any significant changes to the future of our club, including the competitions we play in. Obviously, referencing the ESL there. You know, you went behind our backs and tried to put us in a league that we didn't want, we never wanted to play in, and you put tried to put us in there for your own benefit. They don't want that happening again. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, you know, the very minimum they could have won out of this is to make sure that something like the European Super League doesn't happen again. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I hope that they don't try it again. Um, who knows what will happen, but uh, I think it'll at least be a, a little while before we see something like that happening again. Yeah. And the, the other point they brought up with um, is to work with the Manchester United Supporters Trust and the more broader supporters who maybe aren't part of the trust to put in place a share scheme that is accessible to all and that has shares with the same voting rights as those held by the Glazer family. Should the appetite be there amongst fans that you should welcome and offer no opposition to, the Glazer family shareholding being reduced to a minority or indeed being bought out altogether? So this again, that's this sounds very much you know that's I don't think it's too thinly veiled. Get out of our club. Yeah, um, they couldn't put it much clearer. Really, uh, they clearly want the fans to be in control of it. And it sounds like even if there's not going to be a government kind of legislative point of view that allows them to get to it, they kind of want the Glazers to implement it in some way. Um, it sounds like they might make some money if they you know were buying shares in it. Um, so maybe the Glazers would be more open to that than, you know, potentially being forced to let the fans in. But, um, you know, I think you can clearly see from the letter that it's, you know, they're going to try any means necessary to kind of get control back of their club. Yeah. And, you know, this is such a fierce fan base, you know, there is also potential punishments that can be placed on United now, which they almost seem willing to take to get what they want. You know, it could be a point deduction um it could be a fine or it could be playing next season behind closed doors depending on the findings of an fa inquiry um you know do you th particularly with fans you know having fans out of the stadium again for another season that would really hit the glazers so perhaps that would force them into it do you th but you know is it is it right for them to be punished or is this you know again this is a tricky one i think with this punishment coming in potentially yeah i mean i'd be very surprised if they did a, a full season behind closed doors again um I, you know I, I can't really see that being a, a suitable punishment for what happened um definitely not for a full season maybe one or two games at the start but 
Now, I, I think that's very unlikely um, as an outcome, but I think, to be fair, I think the Manchester United fans as a whole probably be, be, will, be willing to take kind of any punishment that came up, really, if they could do that in exchange for getting the club back. I think they would take another season behind closed doors. And, you know, I think, you know, it's a it's a short-term pain for a long-term gain, really. Yeah. And, of course, with this whole protest, and we have to go on that, there were uh, six cases of police officers uh, suffering injuries, including a fractured eye socket, according to the uh, Telegraph. So we do have to put out there as well that these protests shouldn't have turned violent. I mean, it, it, it just shouldn't have happened. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I obviously echo that. Um, you know, you never want any protests to turn violent. But, I, you know, I also saw videos of, you know, police officers, you know, beating up Manchester United fans. You know, I think yeah. I think both also, sides definitely could have uh, done more to kind of de-escalate and preserve kind of a peaceful protest. Yeah. Um, but as you say, it's their right to be able to protest. You know, that's not just the football fans. Right? That, is, that is your civil rights. You're, this, they're allowed to do that. It's it is true. I know it's a place of heated tensions and you know you know passions running high, but that we we don't want to be seeing that. You know we saw on Sunday things being thrown at uh, the the commentary teams for Sky Sports, which was you know again puts them in danger. And while I think that I don't personally agree with uh, Graham Souness's comments, you know it was something you know did leave a bit of a sour taste in the mouth. That can't, almost you know threatened to undermine the whole thing yeah definitely you know like like i said before it's you know in these situations you've got to have you know people there to de-escalate things and i think on both sides you know there's always going to be some idiots that take things too far but i think it's you know it's more important that people have the right to kind of protest peacefully and yeah. try and preserve that as much as possible from uh, you know both sides of you know the people who are protesting and the people who are there to kind of uh, secure the protests, I guess. You know, the security yeah. people and the police. I think, you know, definitely more work needs to be done in general. I think in that area, but uh, that's maybe a, a conversation for a different podcast. Yes, perhaps. Um, the final thing we'll touch on the, on this is in the event that the Glazer family do not reply to the letter on Friday is the deadline uh, that the sports trust have given. The, it is alleged that there are further protests planned um, when Leicester play Manchester United at Old Trafford and potentially at the rearranged Liverpool fixture. Um, do you think that more tro- we do you think more protests will be needed, or is it something that we you know maybe won't happen this time? Well, I you know I'd hope that there wouldn't have to be more protests. I'd hope this would be enough to you know, open the Glazers' eyes and get them involved in the discussion. But, you know, if it isn't, then I don't know, really. I think there probably will be more protests. You know, that that would yeah. probably be my hunch that, you know, the Glazers probably won't listen and more protests will be required. Although, you know, I would suspect that they wouldn't, you know, go the same way as this one. I think there'll be a, a much stronger response to it uh, than what happened on the weekend. Yeah, I think we're going to be looking at. Um, I, th- I agree with you. I think we are going to be looking at more protests because, as I say, you know, the Glazers have stayed suspiciously silent on the ESL. Um, and, you know, I don't, as we said before, when joining the ESL, it seemed to say they don't look like. 
they care too much about the fan base or the club beyond what happens to their own back pocket. So, yeah, I think we may see some more of them. We just got to hope that they stay peaceful yet powerful. You know, we don't want to see more injuries happening to people. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we want these to be peaceful protests. We don't want you know idiots on either side to cause problems. Um, I think you know consistent peaceful protests are definitely the way to go because I think once you do that then the government inevitably will probably have to get involved and actually make some yeah. legislation to change it. I think definitely just keep going, you know, keep it, you know, calm and peaceful. And I think, you know, fans will see the results they want. Yeah, we, you know, as you say, we, we saw peace, you know, loud but peaceful protests against the ESL across social media and outside clubs. And the government was prepared to get involved then. And, you know, we've got to hope they do the same thing. Yeah, definitely. So, considering that Manchester United might be facing a points deduction, it's, well, however unlikely we think it is, it's got us thinking on the top four race, and not so much the top of, but that crucial fourth place position, usually frequented by Arsenal, but that's not going to happen this season. Um, you know, there's, as we said, there's about four teams in the running for fourth. Uh, with Chelsea, West Ham, Spurs and Liverpool all gunning for that position. Chelsea currently occupying it with four games left to go and Liverpool's case five. thought we'd have a little look at each team's chances of getting in to that fourth spot. So, Dan, we'll go with your... Ask first, what's your gut instinct? Who, where do you, you know, who's taking fourth? Um, I mean, you know, I think at this late stage in the season, the obvious, the obvious one is to say that it's going to be Chelsea. Um, they're in there right now. They've got a what a three point lead, I think, which is yep. kind of significant at this stage of the season. Sure, it's only one game, but what they got four games left, and you'd kind of hope yeah. that they could see that through. So I, I'll be honest, I would be a little bit surprised if things did change. But um, yeah, it's definitely going to be close. I think there's a lot of interesting fixtures that come up with it. But um, no, I, I suspect you know Leicester to stay in third and. Chelsea to stay in fourth. What about you? Um, I was about to agree with you until I looked at Chelsea's next, uh, their remaining Premier League fixtures, and they're all tough games. Um, with you know they play City at the weekend, then they're at home to Arsenal four days later, and then they've got a FA Cup final against Leicester. Four days after that, they play Leicester again in the league and then finish against Aston Villa. Now, that's a tough running. Um, those are going to be hard games that, you know, they could easily drop points. Um, so, I am tempted to say that I think West Ham could do it, you know. I, I want a little fairy tale, and I think it, it, could, be, um, it could be West Ham. Yeah, I mean, I think West Ham definitely have the best run of fixtures. Uh, I think they play Everton, Brighton, West Brom and Southampton, which you'd think are all kind of winnable games for them. Uh, you know, I think they could easily get 12 points from that, which would give them a really great chance of uh, yeah. progressing. That's I what. mean, I'd, I'd certainly say they're going to have nine. I'd say nine as a minimum. I think Everton will be a tough game, but yeah. I'd expect them to breeze past Brighton and West Brom and that's because West Brom in all in all likelihood are relegated and then Southampton 
as a side haven't really been turning up for the last few months. So, you know, I think West Ham are in a really good position. Yeah, the only thing for West Ham is that you do have a much worse goal difference than Chelsea. So they yeah. would have to beat them on points. They couldn't just get level, you know. That would mean Chelsea would definitely have to drop a couple points, I think, at least. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, I think, yeah, like you said, Chelsea's last fixtures, they're difficult. I think I'd expect them to lose to Manchester City, although they did just mm. beat them in the FA Cup semi-final. Yeah, um, but that was a, that was a bit of a shock result, wasn't it? It was a you know a rotated side. Maybe Pep's got his eye more on Europe. But you do have to say one thing about this Chelsea team is defensively they've looked so much better on Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, you got the the draw with Real Madrid away from home, which is a huge result in the Champions League for them. Yeah. So I think they're showing that under Tuchel that they can beat the big teams, and I think. But for me, I I expect Chelsea to get at least nine points uh, actually not at least nine points because they, they could definitely lose to Leicester but I'd expect them to lose to Manchester City beat Arsenal and I think because they're at home I'd expect them to beat Leicester and also beat Aston Villa away from home on the final day so for me I, I think Chelsea will still do it um, even with losing to City because I mm. think West Ham have too many points to overcome yeah, it's you know three three point gap is just one win, but as you say, it's one win, and then if you draw a game when your opposition wins, that's you know it's two point gap again. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think as much as we say it's a it's a race between four teams, I think if you look at the way those two sides are playing, Chelsea and West Ham, I, I you know do do we expect Tottenham and Liverpool to be able to push on, or do you think that it's just a little too late for them? Uh, I think it's too late for them, to be honest. I thought Liverpool could have earlier on in the season, but they've just continued to be pretty poor, to be honest. I think a couple of weeks ago yeah. they had a really favourable run-in and they've still continued to drop points. So I think that's really cost them and I think their season's kind of over, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just an inability to hold on to a lead at the moment. Um, you know, it reminds me of the Liverpool teams of old, just you know, with Benitez and under Rogers, where we could have won titles if we could just hold on to leads, but they've just looked a little more. Obviously, no Van Dijk, no Joe Gomez all season. Um, Nat Phillips is not particularly experienced. Kabak's looked okay, but has a tendency to switch off at times. Fabinho playing at centre back. I mean, for a lot of the season, he's shown how influential he is in the midfield. Um, you know, I have to agree with you. That it's, it's a little too late for them now even with the system working a little bit better it's yeah with injuries as you know it's going to be tough for them it would need a miracle for Liverpool to get back in yeah I think they just need to look towards next season now really yeah and yeah, I mean, it's Tottenham uh, Tottenham so they're not getting in it <laughs> yeah I mean Tottenham you would think um I'm, I was a little surprised to see as we said Mourinho sacked before um, just six days before the cup final, it was really, really odd. Yeah, and then they looked pretty poor in that cup final as well. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't look great. I mean, they're against a very strong Man City side, you know. And they've also got a young manager with his first job in, you know, the top table of English football. Um, but you know, on Mourinho, just seen some breaking news come up on BBC Sport. Jose Mourinho has been appointed the Roma manager for the start of the 2021-2022 season, signing a three-year deal. Interesting. Um, 
yeah, that 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 is some breaking news. Um, that that is just come up on BBC Sport. This is, I mean, it's. I'm surprised he's got into a job that quickly, actually. Yeah, um, potentially. I mean, you'd think it's probably a good fit back in Italy. I think you know they tend to play a bit more of a defensive style of football anyway. So you'd think that that would kind of suit Mourinho, much like it did when he was at Inter Milan. Um, yeah, many years ago now. But I think you know, unlike other leagues, they still kind of put the defensive aspect of the game before everything else. So I think. Going back to Italy is probably good for him. Uh, yeah. As for Roma, I think that's an interesting choice because they're obviously not, you know, it's not Juventus, it's not an Inter Milan, it's not one of the, the yeah. huge teams, but. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I would, I, I you know, I'm a, as the same as you, I'm a, I'm a Mourinho fan. I think he's one of the great characters of the game. Um, also agree with you that he's not quite been at his best for the last few seasons. Um, you know, and even saying that, you look at his previous jobs, you know, we could argue he wasn't at his best at United and he still won trophies. Um, so that I think that points to the ability of the man as a manager. Um when he first joined Spurs, they looked they could beat anybody, um, and he made them a much better team. And I think with the Roma team that has maybe lost some of its powers, um, isn't quite the powerhouse team it used to be. Still got a very passionate fan base. Um, is a bit of a I think it's a bit of a sleeping giant in Rome, really. Um, I think that it might actually, as you say, it might be a good place for him to to start again. And I think it's a club he can rebuild in his image as well. Yeah, you'd think it'd be a club that you'd get um, plenty of time at as well. Um, obviously, if yeah. he's at Manchester United, if you're not challenging for titles, you get sacked, really. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, that's probably a good fit. Um, like I said, a, a big club. Um, and yeah, I think it's good to have him back in Italy. And who knows, it could be the start of a Mourinho renaissance in Roma. Um, yeah. Which I think, like you said, we're both fans of his. I think it'd be really good to see him back at the top of his game. But, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have to see how that goes, I guess. I think of a benefit to him as well is that it looks like, as long as I've understood the Italian table correctly, they are outside of even a Europa League uh, pos- uh, position, you know, nine points behind uh, their right, great rivals, Lazio. Um so with what four games to go, they can't. I don't think they can, barring a miracle, they can't break into Europe. Um, but you know they've only won one of their last five, losing three. And you know I think it's a team that perhaps needs um, Mourinho in to help with their, um, especially the defensive record. You know conceding fifty three in the league, only scoring fifty eight. You know fifty eight is not a fantastic total for you know scoring goals. But if he can cut down that against. 58 suddenly looks a lot better. Yeah, I mean, they did just lose 6-2 to Manchester United, so I think mm. definitely the defence is probably their biggest issue, which, you know, yeah. it makes sense to go and get someone like Jose Mourinho in. Yeah. You know, um, obviously, yeah. you know, they've got some ex-players there. You know, Chris Walling's there, I think. Yeah. Mkhitaryan's there. Well, I'm not sure if he played under Mourinho at the time. He might have done. So definitely maybe a few ex-players there as well that you can kind of team up with but uh, 
yeah, I think that's a really interesting appointment and kind of look forward to seeing how that's going to pan out because you'd expect, you know, ne next season the Italian league should be quite interesting. You know, if you've got Marina, uh, Marina, um, Mourinho at Roma, um, you'd expect, you know, Pirlo to maybe get replaced at Juventus as well. Um, it could be a, a yeah. you know, a really interesting season. Yeah, because it's not been great for uh, a great season for Juventus. You know, no league title, first time in ten years they've not won the league. Um, no Champions League football, and that's usually the kiss of death for a Juventus manager if they don't get do well in the Champions League, because the league is usually a given. So will Pirlo survive, and you know, will there be a new great managerial rivalry involving Mourinho? Certainly, him and Conte could have a you know could be fantastic on the touchline. Yeah, definitely. Which, you know, I think Italian football is maybe could do with that, really. You know, I think it's been a while since they've really had a top team in the Champions League. Obviously, Juventus a couple of years ago, but you think Inter Milan, teams like that have maybe underachieved recently. So it could be really good to have kind of a, you know, a renaissance on that league and really make it a challenger, not just, you know, domestically, but, uh, you know, in Euro in Europe as well overall. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, it's going to be fantastic. See, certainly an interesting watch to see how Mourinho does with this Roma team, and certainly, I guess, how he rebuilds them in over the summer. Um, well, on that piece of breaking news, I guess we'll, we'll end it there. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you keep yourself safe, and we'll speak to you soon.